there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, Advanced Medicine begins officially now. Dr. Rashid Batar, I'm in Atlanta, you're in Charlotte, and we're close, so close, up 85, just, I can almost reach you. <laughs> That's right. It does seem like it's, uh, our, uh, our sound is so clear, it does seem like we're right, sitting right next to each other. Exactly, and I, you know, I wish you were here with me. Uh, we had a great trip. I obviously got to see Mom, and, and she, she loves you and appreciates you and says hi, and uh, the Alive Expo was something I hadn't done in many years, and it was it was interesting. I met a couple of MDs that were actually like us, really. They they were really on board, uh, and you know they they didn't shy away from the the danger of vaccines and things like that. I I did a lecture on neurological degradation, and they were just cheering me on. So. Um, you know, people are changing, and but there, you know, some of them are still a little reluctant to speak out. I understand that because, um, as you know, being vocal and speaking out, what kind of things you have to go up against? Yeah, tend to uh, get ostracized by voicing your your uh, viewpoint, and even when it's backed by extensive research and science, it doesn't matter because it's going against the dogma. It's going against the religion, and it doesn't matter what the truth is. They they tend to come down hard, and a lot of people don't want to be ostracized by their own professional community for that reason so it's understandable it's, i don't think it's excusable but i think it's yeah. understandable I, I made you know the the perspective for like there was a lot of new people at the alive expo that weren't plugged in. like there was somebody from the georgia aquarium right there was a group from the georgia aquarium that exhibited there and one of the mm-hmm. ladies came and attended my lecture and she was so intrigued because she had a lot of health issues and you know i talked about the need to clean up what goes into people's bodies i said the word organic i said listen if if you don't think this is important, you know, maybe it's an intellectual thing. You don't get it yet. But if you do and you still don't make better choices about the food you put in your body, what does that say about how much you love and appreciate yourself that you would, you know, continue to put things in that are contributing to your disease, your ailment? So, you know, I challenged them a little bit and nobody ran away. Well, you know, this is an interesting topic because it also comes down to the inherent nature of human beings, which I don't understand why it is. Uh, and I know I'm I'm susceptible this to this myself, but that self-destructive component that we end up having, it's almost like a, it's like you know that you shouldn't eat a certain type of food, but mm-hmm. you like the taste of it and you end up doing it and then you end up paying the consequence, you know, maybe right. six hours later or two hours later or some, for some people immediately. And then you vow you're not going to do it. And you may be good for another couple of days and stay away from it. I, I see this. Um, with patients all the time and um, I I see the tendency in myself even and it's one of those things that um, I think there has to be an emotional component that's tied in to this behavioral issue Mm -hmm. that we have like for example exercise right Um, I, I have to admit that in the last two weeks well, about three weeks ago, I had an injury to the shoulder, and so I, I was told to take off, take off 
but by, by a friend of mine who's been doing some work, chiropractic work and some other uh, stimulation work. And I did. But there was other things I could have done, but I didn't. I used that as an excuse to justify <laughs> right. because I was told not to, you know, this to take off. And then to like this last week, I could come back on and I started doing my own stuff, but I didn't do the whole workout. And I, I'm asking myself why, because I feel good afterwards and it's just, you know, you know there's excuses of I'm busy and this and that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that human beings tend to do this anyway. And um, that's one reason I've always been kind of secretly impressed by you, Robert, because I've seen how you stick to your um, dietary intake. Um, it's not so secret to, now because you've told everybody. <laughs> well, but but it's, almost to, it's almost like the religious dogma type thing. And I think mm-hmm. these are, the, it's good to have that type of thought process if you can um, program yourself subconsciously to do that to the things that are good unfortunately sometimes you know like the, the dogma of uh, vaccines are good you know, right. people get married to that so then it's a negative thing so how do we as a society learn to take those habits that mm-hmm. are good for us that are going to help sustain us and make them into that uh, adamant religiosity type thought process that makes us regardless of anything else follow that thought process um with with that dogma that's necessary in order sure. to be consistent that that would be an amazing amazing tool to be able to create that but you you understand discipline i mean you have disciplined in your body and life and the things that you've done and and yet there i think we all have either blind spots or weak spots on that front like here in atlanta of course you know i, pr- I brought my food until i knew i could get some good food and then it, lo and behold there is a, a an organic thai restaurant that happened to be closer to where the conference was because there's one out near where my mom lives and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like God smiling on me. I've been good in a past life. Something's happened. <laughs> so we got to actually go out and indulge in food that we would, I would love to eat Thai food all the time, Indian food all the time. But uh, my, my discipline on this issue, as you know, is because of how I suffered from zero to 24. So it was indelibly imprinted into my DNA that food matters so much that I'm not willing to stray, not because I'm dogmatic in a, in a religious sort of way, but a pragmatic way, a practical way to say, you know what, I'm pretty pretty awesome with feeling great. I don't like not feeling great, and my body tells me instantly. So I have that sensitivity that some people would look on as a curse. For me, it's been a blessing because it changed my life around. We're the same age, and you know, I'm doing things now that I couldn't do in my 20s. So it, you know, it's sort of like reversing the aging process. I recognize that on planet Earth, there's going to be elements of aging that I'm not delusional about, but at the same time, doing these things, taking these steps means a lot to me because, you know, not only for my own sake and my own joy in being alive, but for those that I'm trying to be a living example for as we go out and we talk and we teach, I want them to understand how important it is. And and if they don't do it, I'm not going to yell and scream at them, but I at least want them to consider, you know, the loving or non-loving aspects of the choices they make. Well, I think the pragmatism aspect, it's, it's a, an important point to uh, bring up because, I think maybe a few months ago we had talked about the fact that when somebody has a certain type of symptom that they experience from doing something that isn't good for them. For example, you you eat uh, something that's um, got a lot of sugar and and then you get a headache or you start feeling uh, bloated afterwards. You feel, you know, the whatever sensation, negative sensation people may experience by having a high sugar intake. I, I think we talked about this on the air. Maybe we were maybe we were between 
segments when we talked about it. But do you remember the conversation we had that that's actually truly a blessing that when you end up having that feedback, because yes. that, that, sig- that significant pain that you may get in your joints afterwards or the burping sensation or the mm-hmm. headache or whatever the experience is, that's actually your body telling you and rejecting that food and giving you a very, very um, specific response to that food so regardless of whether you think it was good or you don't think it was good or Mm -hmm. or how it tastes your body is talking to you and that is such a blessing i know that people see that as a curse (laughs) and they say you know yeah when you're you're suffering in the middle of it you're cursing it but i you know as i said i look back now and i'm like grateful i didn't know to be grateful at the time until i had to learn the the language of my body and you're right that that when you can understand a new language think about that you learn a new language and you kind of first time you understood things that are said how awesome do you feel and i think there are a lot of people that have yet to experience that with their body to say you know that that's what this means. I mean, they'll hear people screaming and yelling, their body screaming and yelling. They don't know what it means. And we try to put meaning to every symptom so they understand that what they did led to that. And if you don't do that, there's going to be a different outcome that'll be better. Yeah, I think that is such an important point to bring up to people. And, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I can't do this or I don't have I'm limited that I can't buy that type of food or I, I, I can't get a gym membership because it's too expensive or I don't have time to go to the gym. You know, these are all excuses. We have to also start to look at ourselves and and realize and admit that these are excuses because you know what you can just go out and start walking and if you can't walk three miles and then go to two if you can't do two then start go to one if you can't go to one whatever it's just walk a block and then build upon it you'll start finding that your resilience will improve and you'll be able to go a block and a half the next time or or it may take you a week to go to a block and a half but just start doing something and just these little steps it makes a huge impact and it also programs your body and your mind to start to change and shift your own belief system so 30 days they say it takes 21 days to form a habit i always tell patients to do it for four weeks 28 days or 30 days just do something for 30 days because that forms a habit do it consistently and that's your target 30 days just do it for 30 days so i remember thinking to myself um you know people that walk what the hell do they walk for there's no point in walking you know because i i did my hill sprints all the time and of course that would be if i still came from the old thought process no pain no gain Mm -hmm. and so i had to be hurting for me to feel that i'd done something but i'll tell you this just the fact of just the ability to walk it has uh, a, a tremendous impact and i sometimes see people that are in their 70s or 80s out in the park or something they're walking and you know nice brisk walk it doesn't matter whether it's a brisk walk, just even a slow walk. But the point is they're walking, they're doing something. And so I think that is one point that I hope that our listeners listen to mm-hmm. and, and take heed of, that just start doing something, just something small. Yes, Whatever yes. it is, something, even small steps, that's fine. Well, and these, and these articles that we pick, bring up from time to time, they're linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. You can check it out and go to advancedmedicine.com as well. Um, pesticides here, for instance. There's an article here, pesticides are making children aggressive. We got about a minute before our first break, but, I mean, this is the kind of thing, that language is not commonly known. You know, that you know pesticides, they do that. I mean, people are rumoring, hearing rumors about cancer and pesticides. Of course, we talk about that, but there are nuances to the aggressiveness of children that then are drugged, for instance. So... I like covering these uh, new new reports on this to give us more insight. Well, Robert, I think the the bigger point there is that some people don't even realize that pesticides are getting into our food system or water system because they tend to think that the government's taking care of that, and that mm-hmm. used to be a problem, you know, 50 years ago. We don't have that issue anymore. And I think that making people realize that there they are significant changes occurring to the foods that we're ingesting and the, and the air that we're breathing and the water we're taking in 
that uh, affect our body. And many of these industrial components and uh, agents that are being used for, from a global um, industrial perspective have a tremendous impact on our diet, whether it's coming directly into our food source or indirectly into our bodies through us, just, you know, uh, through like the, the types of food that we're eating. Yes. Um, the, the pesticides are coming in, whether you're taking it indirectly, whether you're inhaling it because you live uh, uh, in a, on a farm area or in a golf area, or whether you're getting it through the meat that's being, um, that was fed the grain yeah, product. The that had those Listen, we exactly. got to take, take our first break here. Advanced medicine continues on the Robert Scott Bell show, a special conversation with Dr. Batar, always in enjoyable educational experience we'll be right back the robert scott bell show rocking the health world to the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show if you ever miss an advanced medicine segment, uh, you go to medicalrewind.com, advancedmedicine.com. Of course, we have links up here at robertscottbell.com. It's heard around the world on GCN or home and broadcast radio syndication, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, UK Health Radio, SoundCloud. And when we are, are able to go live on YouTube, it's there as well. Uh, today I'm in Atlanta still. Uh, Dr. Batar is back in, in Carolina. So we're having a great conversation here on the issue of, you know, it's like being at that Alive Expo, Dr. Batar, there are a lot of people that were at varying levels of awareness a lot of times we'll go to a conference and people are you know they're sort of already there but they want nuance in this case it was shocking information but there was a readiness to hear it whether they go in and do something with it i don't know but on the pesticide issue as you said you know the people still a lot of people out there we we forget that have have not even encountered this this idea that pesticides will, are not only uh, you know of course kill pests but kill stuff inside of them too. Absolutely, and I think that you know when you start looking at these type of studies too, which is a little it's a little bit absurd if you think about it. Um, but these little, these uh, studies that they do, then they say pesticides are making children aggressive. Um, you start thinking, well, of course they're going to do make. What else are they doing to children besides making them aggressive? You know, are they <laughs> making their testosterone levels go lower? Are the estrogen levels um, spiking them? Are they are they affecting their neurological pathways? Are they affecting their um, metabolism? All these different things, and I think that these are the types of things that when explored, then you start seeing how the impact on the future health of these children and their propensity to develop cancer later on in life or heart disease later on in life. I mean, this would be, to me, a moment of death. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of goes into this other study that you sent me that we, we might cover today, which is prenatal diet before conception affects child's health. Like, right. tell you know, no poop, Sherlock. Tell me something <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, this, this idea, though, of course, uh, you know, extends into those who are aware of it, but then will promote coal tar, you know, petroleum derived, you know, prenatal vitamins. So, you know, even those that become aware are semi-aware and then don't go to the, the next level to say, well, the pharmaceutical company made it. So it's good, right? Because they're used to from drugs. Now they're going to vitamins, recognizing, well, I've got to make a switch here, but there's a lot of folks that are not going all the way. And so we keep narrowing down the percentage of people that have a, maybe a consciousness about the choices they make. And again, it's one thing when you're completely ignorant of it, although they say ignorance is no excuse because the body will still tell you. But once you know about about it and then choose to do otherwise. I think that becomes a more as a, a conscious, um, if you will, I don't know if it's stubborn or whatever, but I, I don't know if the consequences change if you're consciously making the decision or if you're unconscious about it. I think that sometimes that 
transition between unconscious and conscious may occur at the most uh, at the strangest point in time because sometimes we're not aware of certain things that we're doing but you know, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting question robert that's yeah, interesting i ask the interesting questions here <laughs> <laughs> well i i think that as individuals and understanding um we are all connected together there's a universal consciousness and i think that there's a, it's a collective consciousness mm-hmm. and i think if we just follow our intuition and or the gut feeling of that sixth sense i think that yes. to me that's all the creator talking to us and at some point it, it'll transition from that subconscious to the conscious or there's an awareness and an awakening you know where the eyes open up and you realize something mm-hmm. um and i think we all go through that in in all aspects of life so i don't know whether i, I don't know whether um that's a uh, uh, looking at David Hawkins' work. I don't know whether this would be construed as that enlightenment or becoming more enlightened, or as, right. we, as we're in that evolution of enlightenment. That's when we go from that not realizing or being in that subconscious sure. state and to that conscious. Component. Well, and the risk is is when you know a lot because we know a lot. Let's be honest about that. But we, if we get cocky about it and hang our hat and say there's nothing more to learn, which is you know one of the things I, I said all the time, I so much appreciate about you from the time we met that you were always uh, you know willing to listen and be open to new ideas new things you hadn't encountered and that to me is the mark of someone who is wise right and it's not to say that we can't at any point get cocky right so like the devil's advocate with uh al pacino at the end you know vanity always gets them in the end right because he he tricked them and he got through it and then there's another test right so we're challenged never to kind of say well i've arrived and there's nothing more to learn now y'all just bow down right and so uh for me that would be no fun i I like the fact that there's more that you know i'm at the alive expo and i'm learning new things from other people it's fun for me well it is i think when you uh when you're learning it's a very important component of age management. I believe that when the brain stagnates, I think then the body starts to stagnate. And I think that poster with the chimpanzee that's scratching his head with a book in front of him, and he says, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, it, it's one of those types of things. I think when we think that we've learned everything and there's nothing more to learn, we have, by definition, limited our ability to now comprehend it and evolve. Yeah. Oh, okay. hey, banana break. I got to take a banana break. We're on the end of a break. We're going to be back with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Ooh, ah, ah. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Each and every week we go Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Once again, archives available all over the world. And uh, advancedmedicine.com, great website to keep you up, up to date on things Dr. Bittar is doing and any other announcements we try to get out. Also through the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Dr. Bittar, you, you are a globetrotter. Uh, you know, you're home now. I'm on the road. But uh, I think was it a week or two ago we were, we were interviewing you a few weeks ago. You were in Bethlehem. You were in Jordan and Israel all over over the place and it's amazing to me the reach not just from the physical travel that you do or that I do but the fact that this has gone global you know all those years ago when it was more radio than online and then just took off all over the world yeah it really has been crazy in fact I don't know what I told you Robert when I was uh, um, we, we, you know, we spent uh, some time going around 
some of the places and i was in petra which is considered one of the seven wonders of the world and i didn't even realize it but it was just unbelievable how they've carved things into the mountains the ronds did and and the um the uh, arenas that were literally carved into the map they weren't built up they were carved into the map and the mm-hmm. the actual arena itself and the and the seating areas it's just phenomenal i mean i don't know how many uh, hundreds of thousands of people were involved with that process but when you look at it and the magnitude of it and just the height that they scaled and how smooth the walls were just just boggles your mind but one of the things that happened while i was there it was interesting i i was with um a good friend of mine and we had to go get a passport because uh she's originally from uh, jordan what was so funny was i'm standing there with the, with the, uh, an interpreter and with the, uh, another person and waiting for her to finish some paperwork mm-hmm. and i get tapped on the shoulder and i turn around and this man is looking at me he's got earplugs in and he's kind of looking at me with a quizzical look on his face and he says excuse me are you Dr. Rashid Buttar? <laughs> you kidding? And I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, wait a second. You know, did I hear this right? And I said, excuse me. And I just said it. And he says, are you Dr. Rashid Buttar? And I said, yes, I am. And his face like lit up and he has his phone open, right? Yes. And he shows me on the phone and he goes, I'm listening to you right now on the podcast. So we have, we take the radio show, right. we have a podcast under advanced medicine. Yes. So. I, and I couldn't believe it. He, and he's a physician himself. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, I, I've been listening to you for, I don't know, he think he said four or five years uh, <laughs> on the Robert Scott Bell show. And, and it was just so funny because I'm thinking, holy moly, in the middle of the Middle East, yes. you know, and I'm, I mean, I don't think there was anybody else in that whole freaking building that spoke English. I mean, everybody right. spoke Arabic there. So it was just the funniest thing. And in fact, the, the interpreter, the, 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 I had a driver with me and the interpreter and the driver was looking like, you know, what's going on. And the interpreter translated to the driver, what was going on. And it was just the funniest thing. Just, the driver's eyes were like, what? Really? He's, how do you do? You know, it's like confusion. Like, wait a second. Huh? And then later on, the, the interpreter told me that he was the driver was asking me, you know, how do I listen to the radio show? How do I get <laughs> it now, too? That's so cool. I mean, you're, you're in what, Jordan at a passport place and then somebody taps you on the show. I'm listening to you right now on the, yeah. on the podcast stream. I couldn't have predicted that. I mean, all those years ago, I always knew, you know, we would have a reach. But uh, to have the technology and this is the positive side of this technology. It really is. It's allowing that consciousness shift because it's, it, you know, we're able to to reach people like never before that crosses all boundaries, you know, whether it be a religious, a geopolitical, sociopolitical, uh, you name it, the message of health, healing, health, freedom, healing, liberty is something I believe, you know, there is a desire for whether people have a, a language that necessarily uh, grasp it in their upbringing. And, you know, there's evidence right there. And, the, and also the fact that this was a physician that was listening. What does that say about the doctors out there? For the most part, you know, they probably, and I would say for the most part, go into it for the right reasons the question is you know do they transition out of the the brainwash programming to go where we go yeah and you know it's pretty amazing uh, i ended up giving him uh contact information and found out that he's actually going to be coming to the u.s to do his residency uh he's uh, in internal medicine but he's going to come to the u.s to do his residency and, and he wants to go back to uh jordan and um and practice uh either in jordan or in um the Palestinian Israeli areas. And mm-hmm. I'm not hundred percent sure, but uh, I believe he said he started listening to the show when he was still a medical student. So I think that that transition that you're talking about, that awareness mm-hmm. that you're talking about and the ability to reach people, not in, only in different parts of the world, but also in different 
um, segments of society, you know, so you've got, right. you've got those that are coming up in that educational uh, process in the, in the medical world. And I mean, to me, not that it is not to say that any one segment is more important than the other, but from an education standpoint, I think the most important, the most critical component is to help educate the new generation of health, uh, of healers, of healthcare yes. providers to make sure that they're aware um, not to indoctrinate them, but to make them aware so that they understand uh, the limits of what they're learning. And right. one of the things that I tell medical students that rotate with me, and I've got some people that have rotated me throughout the years, is I tell them, learn. Uh, and especially if college students talk to me and they say, Dr. Patari, you know, this is, I want to do the type of thing that you're doing. And I say, forget about what I'm doing right now. Learn, read, but forget about talking to other people about it. Just go into your educational process and learn everything from the conventional standpoint. Do your own reading on the side, but don't talk about it. Don't talk about it to your professors. Don't talk to, about it to your attendings because all you'll do is alienate them. Once you've gotten your mm-hmm. degree, once you've gotten your training, your residency, whatever you've got, right. then speak from the pulpits. and, and Nicely preach. said. And Yes, but don't don't jeopardize your own careers by because a lot of people have jeopardized their careers just by opening their mouths sure. too soon, too early. Well, they talk about keeping your head down. Um, we've talked about it here, call it calling it the law of silence, right? Knowing when to speak, and that goes back to listening to the gut or the voice of spirit, however you describe it. And yet, at the same time, I say now is not the time to be quiet. In a, in a general sense, like in this crowd, like I was with this this weekend, especially among the physicians that that are already out there for years, you have to now speak out. I think I think we're asked to do more because the transition is so desperately needed by so many and also the thing about the kids going into the schooling now into medical school oftentimes they're now raised in families that have been part of this shift that have been using dietary supplements eating more organic aware of gmo so the kids themselves are going into school having an experience that doesn't allow for total dogmatic indoctrination to drugs for everything they already are asking questions about it and and i think that's changed and from the Flexner Report of 1910, they can't hold it together anymore because the experience of the kids and the generations now is such that it's obvious that they don't have an answer for all of these things. Yeah, and and they're not having an answer would be okay, but their tendency to not have the answer and then propagate as if they do have the answer and and push that agenda forward whatever the answer may in in their world maybe which is you know taking this drug or that drug it's block this pathway or block this you know the beta blocker channel calcium channel blockers i'm not saying beta blockers and calcium channel is a block calcium channel blockers are bad i'm just saying that everything's a block this inhibit mm-hmm. this pharmaceuticals inhibit everything so i think their their propensity to then pretend like they have a solution the problem is that people end up paying the the price with their lives sure um and and that's where that's one reason that i tend to get very um aggravated and angry sometimes right because it's just not right it's just it's not right in any industry for anybody to do this to any to yes. any uh, one of their clients patients whatever you want to call them anytime I'm, I'm being nice to doctors i think of you whispering in my ear robert you're being too nice <laughs> <laughs> you know think about that and then i go okay you're right i got i got it i gotta let it out like it should be but to your point again the wisdom the the teaching the insight uh folks if you're going through those trainings you may not want to raise your hand too often initially through the training process once you've you know established yourself there then now it's time to take what you've learned you know and even i got a story about my daughter who's uh you know i mentioned this last week on the air she's in you know a little montessori school that unfortunately the teacher who used to be more libertarian love of liberty kind of thing now switched the teacher now she's 
to- nice lady, but totally a leftist, you know, Trump hating. It's just irrational at the point where some of these leftists go. And so, I, you know, I teach my daughter. I said, you know what? If, you, if you're not sure about where somebody is at and what they're saying, ask them questions about it. So they were going all and on about how horrible the tax plan is, the new tax plan. I said, all you had to do, and I didn't say specifically about the tax plan. Ask them questions. I just said, ask questions. So she asked, so why is it that you hate the tax plan? And everybody in her class just looked at her. She says she felt horrible. She started crying. The teacher didn't want to go into it. And I said, you know, I'm proud of you, Ari. I'm really proud of you for doing that. And you need to know that what you've done is just shown their lack of ability to back up what their belief system is. Exactly. Well, I was just going to say that Mm -hmm. the fact that they singled her out and looked at her, but nobody could say anything means that they didn't know. This is a typical thing I saw. um, I remember uh, Abby was probably nine years old. We were going to a martial arts tournament. Mm -hmm. There was a 14-year-old kid in the car and one of the instructors who was about 17 and so as we were driving, this is in Pennsylvania, I just threw out a math problem because I sometimes used to do that with Abby. My dad used to do that with us, you know, math problems or, you know, you say a prayer in Arabic, you have to recite it or whatever the case. It was always my dad always wanted us to do something. So I threw out this math problem and the, the oldest kid, the 17 year old, gave an answer, which was incorrect. And I waited for the 14 year old. He gave an answer that was incorrect. And then Abby says, oh, well, I guess I was wrong. I thought it was going to be, you know, and he gives the answer and his answer was right. Oh. And I said, Abby, your answer was right. And I explained it to them. And they were kind of like, you know, the two older kids were kind of like embarrassed. And, you know, but the thing was, he automatically assumed that he was wrong because the older older kids were wrong. Yeah. Older kids. And there was two against one. You know, they were all friends. But the point was that we as like for Arya, she probably um, thought that because they all looked at her and didn't say anything and she felt self-conscious, she started crying. In her world, she thought she was wrong, but in actuality, what she did was she just showed Mm -hmm. to them all, especially to the teacher, that they couldn't even support their argument, and here was a child that brought up a counterpoint, and they couldn't support it. This is a really, really important thing. I think that us as parents, we need to make sure we support our children, Mm -hmm. And, and it's not whether we agree with our child or disagree with our child, but we support them to the point that they understand that they are going to be still... Um, supported and loved and cherished regardless of what their opinion is. This is a very important part for the uh, confidence level for an individual to grow up with that confidence of knowing that uh, no matter what, Mm -hmm. I can say my piece and that's where change occurs, rather than having that herd mentality. As you, uh, the, yes. my, one of my favorite words that you came up with, sheeple. You know, instead of promoting the sheeple thought process, bunch of moo cows. Stop it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And in my daughter's case, like I said, she she's you know obviously being raised by people who love liberty, and we know history. And so you know, I, I you know oftentimes you can't get into a, a debate with someone who just yells and screams at you ad hominem, but you can ask questions, and then when they answer with I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not even bother, or or they come back with that kind of sense, and you have a sense that, my gosh, they may not have an understanding of why they believe what they believe, and you want to engage. I encourage that. It doesn't mean we all have to believe the same. I don't mind that her, her teacher believes differently than we do, but the fact that she is not allowing for the uh, I- integrative questioning and discussion, intellectual you know, integrity, that's what I'm asking for here. Listen, we're on another break. we got one more segment. I'm going to ask Dr. Batar a medical question, especially remembering now that we have a lot of young medical students probably listening, and it's about hormones. Men, get ready. It's for you. We'll be right back. Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. 
Early in the show, Dr. Vitar, you mentioned uh, the aging process and how, you know, always questioning, learning something new keeps you young. There's another question about testosterone decline that's in it's widespread we have a link in the show notes chronic disease it's linked to chronic disease but does this mean we just need to inject all men with testosterone because there's a medical side that if it's doing that or maybe even going bioidentical i don't believe it's addressing the real issue bioidentical or synthetic it doesn't make any difference you're still violating the negative inhibitory feedback loop it's in chapter 11 of my book that explains this entire aspect and it's talking specifically about growth hormone but it doesn't matter what hormone you're talking about what you talking about thyroid you're talking about testosterone you're talking about the cortisol whatever hormones you're talking about the concept of the inhibiting the negative feedback loop you do not want to inhibit the negative feedback loop that god designed it's our own self-regulatory mechanism so when it comes to testosterone for example they are right that lower testosterone levels do create uh, and there is an association with chronic disease but my question would be why is the testosterone low in the first place and that's what people aren't addressing. So one of the reasons we have lower testosterone is because there's so much estrogen in society so from the plastics, the xenoestrogens, the phytoestrogens, the estrogen negates testosterone. So that's one of the one big problems. But that doesn't mean you go and start injecting testosterone. What can men do to increase their testosterone naturally? Start eating cleaner. Mm-hmm. Start eating more lean types of protein exercise that is the most significant thing that you can do exercise Mm -hmm. and there's one other thing you can do on top of that that even helps which is exercise Mm -hmm. and then you know if you don't know what else to do then definitely do exercise because that will take care of your testosterone level (laughs) one of the biggest problems is that men don't do um well men and women you know we we as a society don't exercise enough so exercise is one component and here's the other thing that you can start doing sleep Mm -hmm. get adequate sleep that's a that's one of the components that helps to um normalize your cortisol levels and mm-hmm. circadian rhythm and such um so th- and and eating foods that are lower in carbohydrate higher in protein yes. cleaner these are the simple things that you can end up doing there's they've got programs out there that will naturally increase your testosterone actually um, advancedmedicine.com we mm-hmm. will have there's a protocol one of the drops of life protocol uh, that will naturally increase testosterone and without inhibiting the negative feedback loop so for people that may have an interest in this robert chapter yeah. 11 of the book chapter 11 of, um, of nine steps to keep the doctor away we have mentioned it today it's an international bestseller it's been out for years now but it's still awesome and you know i, I want to mention you, you say lean protein i don't want people to again fear fat it's the fat from factory farm animals that's toxic and and also can contain xenoestrogens but remember cholesterol which is you know part of the fat scenario is a precursor to the vital hormone production so it's a it's liver most, issue it's a mm-hmm. most important component it's, it's mm-hmm. vital to uh, all the sex hormones it's a precursor to cholesterol is a precursor to estrogen progesterone testosterone and so one of the other components why people have hormonal issues is because of all the statin drugs that uh-huh. people are on yep. so you don't want to inhibit cholesterol in fact without cholesterol we would be nothing we, we wouldn't have any cell membrane integrity it's, it's right. cell membrane integrity that's dependent upon cholesterol so to decrease that is not the right thing now, to proper metabolism of the cholesterol may be an important thing but sure. that's not an issue that's not solved by taking a statin drug no how many people how many men with low t are on a statin drug 
yeah. probably all of them, you know? And, yeah. and so it doesn't mean that everybody that has low T is on a statin drug, but a lot of them are. And so if you just think that you're not going to pump in testosterone artificially, how about looking at the, the idiocy of reducing cholesterol, which, you know, to do that, they have to destroy the liver. That's part of the process. And by the way, that is also the precursor to a lot of uh, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera, neurological degradation by reducing cholesterol. Brain is made of cholesterol, a lot of fat and cholesterol. So, folks, you got to remember, these are things you don't necessarily learn in medical school. Unfortunately, you should, but that's the kind of stuff we do with advanced medicine, and that gives you some insight as you go through your career and changing and transforming people and bringing power, the power to heal back to your patients as well as yourself. Robert, one other thing I'd like to say is that the, most of the cardiology literature in the last 10 years have actually associated the um, propensity of ha developing heart disease to higher insulin levels and uh, erratic insulin mm -hmm. um, the peaks and troughs that people go through. So they have actually found that half the people that have heart disease um, have totally normal uh, mm -hmm. cholesterol lipid levels and half the people that have uh, totally normal yes. uh, heart, have, uh, have uh, no heart disease have very high lipids. That's right. So it's it's not the associated lipids, but it's more associated with the insulin peaks and troughs. Well, and that tells you, we don't have time to go into it, but stop eating all the refined sugars. You're, exactly. you're poisoning your body, and you're facilitating all of the cardiovascular disease, neurological disease, etc. Well, with that, we're about out of time, Dr. Batar. What an amazing advanced medicine. I appreciate you so much, my friend. And uh, I know that the people out there love you. I know my mom does, so at least you got her. Well, that's enough. <laughs> start one at a time, right? Yes. Tell them what they need to know, because we got to go. The power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.